1: And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends
0: Collection. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, here to let you know that my podcast, Next Question with me, Katie Couric, is back for its second season. I'll be diving into some big issues like this country's devastating maternal mortality rate, the rise of astrology, and a little thing called the presidential election. Listen to Next Question. It comes out every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows.
1: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
2: the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. And today is a very exciting day in the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We are kicking off our 2014 summer series, Looking at Women in Exploration. Yeah. And since this is our introductory
3: episode, we wanted to just offer an overview, looking at what exploration actually is, because Caroline, exploration is not what I thought it was before we started reading about this. I assumed exploration was when people just go out into the wilderness and hike around or they climb mountains or they go walk around a snowy land.
2: Yeah, but it's so much more than that. I totally am on the same, was on the same page with you. I thought like, oh, well exploration is just any, any old person who climbs a mountain or goes into the woods or what have you to look around, have a look around, a look see and, and see what's out there. But as we'll get into, like Kristen said, there is so much more. There's so many more layers to what an explorer is. Versus maybe an adventure and and the purposes of each. That's right. Um, But since we're focusing on
3: women and exploration, we thought a good place to kick off this discussion was talking about how exploration has long been considered more of a masculine Pursuit. There was a paper we found called Conceptions of Victorian Masculinity Within Britain's Colonial Project in Egypt by Claire Anderson, and she talks about this. She writes about how the explorer's gaze has been generically and literally a man's gaze because at that time, she's writing about the Victorian era, travel outside of Europe was mostly a male experience. By definition, travel outside of the homeland was identified as masculine and was carried out by heroic explorers. And then she goes on to talk about how ideologically and culturally, our idea of travel and exploration has often been the province of masculinity Mm -hmm. founded on designations of entitlement, autonomy and agency and emblematized by
2: male members of the moneyed classes. That's a lot Right. And and it's if you go back to the episode that we did on coffee, we kind of touched on this in that episode, talking about how men were the ones. And a lot of times it was the upper class uh genteel gentlemen who would go off and explore and learn about this new hot beverage and, and bring it back and talk about their explorations. And so it very much was considered a masculine thing because why would women with all of their heavy skirts and their need to be in the home sphere, why would they be traveling out, especially alone? Yeah, there's some very real gendered, not just baggage, but but
3: luggage with this idea of exploration and what it means more broadly beyond just stepping out beyond your own doorstep. But there were, though, a number of women who violated those Victorian gender norms and set out to explore. And one that we wanted to talk about for a minute was Harriet Chalmers Adams, who was born in California in 1875. She was self-taught, kind of raised in the California mountains, and rode horseback when she was an adult along the routes of Columbus and the Spanish conquistadors because she was kind of obsessed with this idea of Spanish colonialism. And she ended up founding the Society of Women Geographers.
2: Yeah, and she was actually inspired by her father, who was a Scottish engineer who took her on a trip throughout California on horseback when girlfriend was eight years old. So she had it instilled in her from a very young age. And I I love seeing how, even back then, how important it is for some. Someone in a young girl's life to show her the way literally and figuratively when it comes to anything along the lines of exploration, STEM, if we're, if we're looking, talking about more recent. Uh, developments. But anyway, yeah, she, she was one of four other women who founded the Society of Women Geographers in 1925. And by the end of her life, Adams had visited every country with a Spanish or Portuguese connection, in addition to all of the other countries she visited to. Yeah. And
3: Adams was known as the foremost female explorer of her day. And one quote of hers that jumped out to us was her saying, I've wondered why men have so absolutely monopolized the field of exploration. Why did women never go to the Arctic, try for one pole or the other? I've never found my sex a hindrance, never faced a difficulty which a woman, as well as a man, could not surmount. Never felt a fear of danger, never lacked courage to protect myself. So <laughs> Adams clearly he was quite a, a tough woman, uh, but, but it's interesting to hear her Asking these questions that I think some people still
2: ask today. Yeah, as my family would say, she's got a little bit of that Scotch contrariness that we have in the Irvin family as well. Um But we should also talk about mountaineer Annie Smith Peck. She is the self-proclaimed, uh, if we want to talk about self-assured women out there in this era. She is the self-proclaimed queen of climbing who in 1908 climbed 24,000 feet which is higher than any man or woman at the time. And Peck would probably qualify a little bit more
3: as an adventurer than an explorer, someone who's going out to collect information about an unknown land and then bring it back. Her thing was more... Scaling these mountains. And she was clearly a little bit of a feminist as well, because in 1911, she climbed Peru's second highest peak and planted a votes for women's sign on its summit. Awesome. And Caroline is sitting across from me
2: fist (laughs) pumping right now. (laughs) I mean, it's so awesome. And this woman even had a peak in Huascaran named after her. And she also has an awesome quote that we wanted to share Talking about men and women going mountain climbing, being mountaineers and what they wear when they go do this. She says men, as we all know, climb in knickerbockers. Women, on the contrary, will declare that a skirt is no hindrance to their locomotion. And you're like, "Okay, cool. Women can achieve things in skirts, too. And then she's like, this is obviously absurd for a woman in difficult mountaineering to waste her strength and endanger her life with a skirt is foolish in the extreme. So, yeah, you could say that she's on the whole dress reform uh, bandwagon. Yeah. Uh, and just to round out this trio of early
3: women explorers and travelers examples, we have Isabella Byrd Bishop, who was the first woman inducted into the Royal Geographical Society in 1892. And she was one of the premier travel writers of her day and the author of a lady's life in the rocky mountains and apparently it was a big deal when she was riding horseback through the rockies that she did so not side saddle but astride uh-huh nice talk about i mean like these women in terms of even just riding horseback astride or in Peck's case wearing the knickerbockers instead of a dress these women who were having to violate gender norms over and over again in the name of expanding
2: their worlds and also expanding the public's world by bringing back this information. Exactly. Showing that women can do it, too. Yeah. But not everybody was having it. Women were typically excluded, for instance, from exploration in Antarctica, which has been referred to as the most inconvenient boys' club in the world. And a lot of this is because funding tended to come from scientific and military organizations, which they themselves, of course, excluded women. So men provide the funding, men receive the funding, and then to top it off, the esteemed Explorers Club,
3: which was founded in 1904, remained all male for seventy. Seven years and finally gender desegregated in 1981. And its first female members included Sylvia Earle, Diane Fossey, Rita Matthews, Anna Roosevelt, and Katherine Sullivan, which are names that will probably pop up over the next few weeks as we dig deeper into notable female explorers. And in 2000, the Explorers Club elected its first female president. Fanya L. Rose. And it's funny on their website, they have the, 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 timeline of the Explorers Club. And at the very bottom of the webpage, talking, giving, going through their history, they say, and then finally in the eighties, we brought in our newest group of explorers who, of course, are women. But then you go back to, yeah. you know, Isabella Bird, who was being inducted into the Royal Geographical Society in, what was that, the
2: 1860s? and it was clear they were kind of trying to cover their tracks a little bit being like oh yeah okay. <laughs> oh yes yeah, since women had never been out of the house before 1981 there are there there are new members but yeah so so let's look at some of the incredible firsts that women have achieved in exploration because they have been everywhere from the sky, space, uh, and, and a little bit below in zeppelins, depending on what sort of vessel they're traveling in, all the way to the bottom of the ocean and everywhere in between. So let's talk about that. Yeah, because the question of, well, where have women explorers
3: been... <laughs> Everywhere. So take for instance, Christina Chanowska-Liskowitz, who was the first woman to sail solo around the world, starting and
2: ending at the Canary Islands in 1976 yeah and then you have a woman who has all the names uh Grace Marguerite Hay Drummond Hay, or we'll just call her Lady Drummond Hay if you want to, but anyway, she's a jack reporter and the first woman to fly around the world, which she did by Zeppelin in nineteen twenty nine and if you google image search this woman, which I highly recommend, there are pictures of her because she not only was this amazing explorer but she was also quite a fancy lady. She's also very beautiful. She also donned this incredible like leather and fleece coat. So very much she was very much dressed for the role of explorer. She's also in an ad for Lucky Strike cigarettes with the quote above her saying something like I'll smoke a Lucky instead of eating sweets. So, so there's some bad advertising trivia there for you. Lady Drummond, hey. My goodness. Uh she's also
3: too, of this early type of female journalist who traveled a lot it was a big deal Nellie Bly whom we'll talk about in an upcoming episode is sort of her predecessor in the sense of being a journalist who really made her name not just through her writing but also through her traveling uh, and then moving on though we have Annie London Berry Kupchavsky, who was the first woman to bicycle around the world. And she similarly was a writer like Lady Drummond Hay and a self-described new woman, which I think some of this, uh, her self-politicizing, had to do with the fact that she bicycled Around the world, because one of her quotes in a similar vein as uh, what we quoted from Harriet Chalmers Adams a few minutes ago was about how she can do anything that a guy can do. She said, I'm a new woman. If by that, it means that I think that I can I'm capable of
2: doing Whatever a man is capable of doing Awesome. on a bicycle, especially. We need to make like a trading card series, don't you think, with all of these women on them and their quotes? Yeah, I would totally get one of those baseball card books and collect them. Um Anyway, we also have uh, Junko Taipei, who is the first woman to reach the summit of Everest, which she did in 1975. And don't worry, we will be providing plenty more mountaineering information in a future episode for this series, so just hold tight. And one thing to remember, too, about exploration
3: is that it doesn't just take place on Earth, but it also includes exploration in space. So we have to give a nod to Russian Valentina Tereshkova, who was the first woman in space who got up there in
2: 1963. And, you know, earlier we mentioned that women were excluded from Arctic missions. Well, Liv Arneson in 1994 became the first woman to make it to the South Pole alone. Can you imagine being at the South Pole alone? I bet it's so quiet. Yeah. Except, I mean, like, except for polar bears, I guess. Except, or. And, was, uh, oh, Santa's at the North Pole. Yeah. Never mind. I was about to say. Santa. Well, maybe the South Pole is his vacation
3: home. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe.
2: Hmm. Okay, well then there's also Fiona Campbell, who became the first woman to walk around the world from 1983 to 1994? Yeah, well it took her 11 years because she was on foot yeah, trying I mean, to walk guess, around guess the world. Yeah, I mean I guess that takes a while. I mean, that would take <laughs> quite a while,
3: 11 years to be precise. But the thing about it is, she almost walked around the world. She later came out. And confessed that she fibbed about walking a thousand of those miles because it turns out she was pregnant. And so walking was a bit difficult. And then she later went and had an abortion while she was doing this journey. And people were really awful to her about the whole thing. And she sort of dropped out of Mm -hmm. public life. After that. So more of a um, a very fraught story of a female adventurer. And again, Campbell is an example of one who would be more of an adventurer than an explorer, because when we think about exploration today, it has a lot to do with STEM fields or science, technology,
2: engineering and math. And one woman who really stresses this connection between exploration and the STEM fields is the very impressive Milbury Polk, who founded and is the director emeritus of the group Wings World Quest, which works really hard to raise money for women explorers and get their stories out there because she talks about the importance of basically different viewpoints and how you have to have women involved to get sort of all of the information that could possibly help humanity. Right. And that
3: requires exploration, going outside of labs and getting into the natural world and collecting samples, bringing some of those samples back to labs reporting from the field. And she went on Bloomberg not too long ago to talk about Wings World Quest and She mentioned how people tend to think of exploration as being about big geographical continents or undiscovered tribes. But actually, exploration is about everything from the
2: infinitesimal to the universe. Yeah. And so she talks about how when you look at magazines like Science News, that they're publishing all of these discoveries across a vast range of topics. And so she says it's very important that we look and listen to explorers because they are the people on the forefront making the discoveries that help the rest of us make informed decisions about how we go forward. And so that being said, how important it is then that women be included in those discoveries because, I mean, we've talked about this in terms of the workplace, in terms of politics, in world leadership, that if you don't have the viewpoint of half of the population, everybody suffers.
3: Right. And and this is also why we are making the distinction between explorers and adventurers, because as Caroline and I both admitted at the top of the podcast, we, like probably a lot of other people, imagine explorers more along the lines of Junko Taipei, whose mission was to climb to the top, of Mount Everest and climb back down, not so much in the sense of exploration for the purpose of broadening our knowledge of STEM. And Polk talked about, too, how it's a challenge for her and Wings World Quest to not just make that connection between exploration and STEM, but then from there, make the connection between STEM and And women, because she says a lot of times we probably don't think about women as explorers. Going back to that first quote that we tossed out at the top of the podcast about how exploration has long been considered this masculine pursuit. But there's also this underlying connection of we also don't think of women as scientists. So if we don't think of women as scientists, then, of course, we're not going to think of them as these explorers who are going out in the field to collect that scientific
0: data.
1: So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone.
0: The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime.
2: And then circling back to when we were talking about Harriet Chalmers Adams, who we talked about her father was an engineer who inspired her love of exploration, took her on those horseback adventures, and how important it is to have someone in a young girl's life, whether it is the 19th century or whether it's the 21st century... Polk talks about how important it is to both get these women out in the field as explorers and to fund their explorations because they can then serve as role models to young girls. And she says, really to everybody, because it's my belief that everybody's an explorer. Well, and the big thing she was hammering
3: home to was the fact that they have a flag that the explorers take out with them. And she says that the flag is important because it's a symbol of women going into
2: the field to make a discovery. Or under the ocean, under the ocean. That's I right, in the ocean. In- yeah, there's a picture of, of one of the Wings World Quest explorers with the f- dragging the flag underwater as they swim. Yeah, and I mean that ends up going back to Annie Smith Peck, who you know put that flag on top of the mountain in Peru saying votes for women. So it's important to get that image out there in people's minds.
3: And it's not just Wings World Quest who is out there supporting women explorers. There's also the National Geographic Young Explorers Grant, which if you go to their webpage, I was pleasantly surprised to see a broad representation of women explorers that they are funding. There's also the Explorers Club, finally gender desegregated in 1981, that does offer grants for high school students through doctorate students in addition to early postdoc explorers. Because what can also be challenging, speaking of doctorate students, is that a lot of explorers, seem to be self-taught, and if you aren't under the umbrella of some kind of academic organization and are able to get funding that way, someone might go for a corporate sponsorship. So you can get companies which have in the past sponsored, explorers, giving them equipment such as Rolex, Polartec, Gore, and Land Rover, which really that combination just makes it sound like someone's going on a super luxe, safari. The fanciest exploration. Yes, but these are the kinds of companies, though, that make tough, high-end goods that can withstand harsh conditions. So if you are like, say, a Liv Arneson, the first woman to make it to the South Pole alone, hopefully you're going to go with rock-solid equipment like GPS and radios and hopefully podcast machines, Caroline. That's right, with a crank... Yeah. Maybe a flashlight attached. A podcast
2: Victrola to keep you company in the wild. But I mean, speaking of Liv Arneson, her BFF Ann Bancroft has started the Ann Bancroft, Ann Bancroft Foundation, which is granted specific to Minnesota, but it actually funds a lot of awesome exploration adventures for young girls. So it's sort of to encourage them to pursue this field and I mean, I don't have anything else really to list there because there's not a whole lot of women's specific exploration funding groups out there.
3: Well, I think it is partially because of the public perception of what an explorer is. I think that we forget that there are still modern day explorers whose livelihood is doing this kind of work. And I think that we don't at least, you know, again, myself, I didn't, hadn't made the connection between exploration and these STEM fields that we talk about so much. But there are so many modern-day female explorer role models for girls and other women to look up to. And if we want to talk about literally looking up, let's talk about a couple of space explorers. There's Katie Coleman, who has logged more than 4,330 hours in space, aboard the Space Shuttle Columbia and the International Space Station, and Mae Jemison, who was the first African-American woman astronaut who actually left NASA in 1993. And she and Coleman are now working together to promote space exploration and space travel, and Caroline and I may or may not have seen them speak at a conference
2: earlier in 2014, and it was very exciting to see those explorers on stage talking. And we may or may not have been sitting next to them for half of the day, not realizing who they were and totally geeked out when they got on stage. And We realized who had been our seatmates for a couple hours. Um, but, yeah, we really we really wanted to highlight a couple names for you looking at everything from the bottom of the ocean to outer space just to prove as if we had to. But just to prove to you that there are so many women out there at every level of exploration. So if you look at ecology, there's someone like Grace Gobo, who's an ethnobotanist working to preserve natural plant remedies and habitats in Tanzania. So she's researching plants for, you know, maybe people who don't have access to drugs, pharmaceuticals, and who need the healing powers of plants in their native countries. And then if we look at one of the fields that young Caroline wanted to enter as a as a small person who imagined herself to be Indiana Jones, we've got to look at paleontology. And we have to talk about the amazing Sue Hendrickson, who she's not only a paleontologist, she's also a marine archaeologist, I mean, NBD. So she has found everything from shipwrecks with treasure to ancient sunken cities, to the world's largest and most complete Tyrannosaurus rex skeleton in 1990. Oh, and also,
3: Hendrickson never went to college. She was one of those many explorers who's completely self-taught, as in a self-taught fossil hunter, marine archaeologist, adventurer, and explorer. In other words, it sounds like Sue Hendrickson has kind
2: of the coolest life ever. I I think so. I think that's safe to say. Yeah, But I mean, speaking of the ocean, we also have to talk about Sylvia Earle, who her biography is ginormous. This woman is the National Geographic Society Explorer in Residence. She's led more than 100 expeditions, logged more than 7,000 hours underwater. She set a record for solo diving in 1,000 meter depth. She's formerly the chief scientist at NOAA. She's the founder of the Deep Ocean Exploration and Research, Inc., On and on and on. This woman is incredible. And if her name sounds familiar, it's because
3: she was one of the first women admitted to the Explorers Club when they started letting women in the gates in 1981. And two names that have also come up already in the podcast, Liv Arneson and Anne Bancroft, are sort of the the two leading women of Arctic exploration these days. Together, they were the first women to ski across Antarctica in 2001, and they teamed up to establish Bancroft Arneson Explore, which is a for-profit company dedicated to supporting and promoting women's expeditions. So, I mean, how many different disciplines did we just tick off there? We were talking about space, ecology, paleontology, oceanography, and Arctic exploration. I mean, clearly the Venn diagram between STEM and exploration intersects so much. It encapsulates so much
2: of our world, right? And what's so great to see, too, is that so many people like Liv Arneson and Anne Bancroft, for instance, are doing everything that they can to get other women and young girls interested in this stuff and to show them that there's so much out there yet to explore. It's, it reminds me of, and I don't know if I've shared this before, but it reminds me of my freshman year roommate. Who, when I told her that I was thinking about majoring in archaeology, she told me that, why? Everything's already been found. Oh, no. She needs to talk to Milbury Polk. She needs to talk to Milbury Polk. And she could talk to any of these other women who would poo-poo that notion. Well, because that was one of the questions that a
3: Bloomberg host had for Polk when she was talking about Wings World Quest. Basically asking, what is left to explore? And her answer was, everything. Yeah. We can we will never know everything there is to know about the world and the universe.
2: Yeah. And so I cheer every time there is a story in the news about another species being found, um, another galaxy, another dinosaur skeleton, anything, another lost city, anything. I, I think of my, my old roommate, and I, I cheer a little bit. Well, and in terms of, we, we've
3: talked a lot, too, about the importance of visibility. And when it comes to girls, they not only have this roster of female explorers, but there was a recent development from Lego that they are coming out with this new line of female scientists which are also explorers in a way because it's a trio of an astronomer, a paleontologist and a
2: chemist, all of which do exploratory work. Yeah, and I love that, uh, the geochemist and LEGO enthusiast who submitted this proposal to LEGO, Dr. Ellen Kuzman, said the motto of these scientists is clear. Explore the world and beyond. And so there you go. I mean, I, I love that, you know, LEGO has been doing a lot. Recently, we've talked about them before with Lego friends, for instance, to encourage girls to play with Legos, develop their, you know, sensory skills and all that stuff. Um And so I love that Lego is getting into the game with these minifig explorers who, you know, say what you will about pink or not, but, you know, they're not pink. They look like all the rest of the Lego minifigs. Yeah. Well, I hope that this kickoff episode has gotten
3: Folks excited about learning more about women explorers because it's gotten me excited, Mm -hmm. Caroline. And for the next month, we're going to be highlighting in three separate episodes, women who explore the land and the mountains, women who explore the oceans deep, and women who explore the Arctic frozen lands. And we'll be digging deeper into the women both past and present who have made the significant and trailblazing contributions to what we know about those geographical areas and those different ecologies. And so I think it's going to be a really fun summer.
2: It's going to be a good time. And it makes me want to go get my my knapsack and some trail mix and and hit the dusty trail. Yes. Maybe get a magnifying glass. Sounds perfect. Or one of those GPS machines. Indeed. Maybe you can get Rolex to sponsor you. Perfect.
0: Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair.
1: I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something
2: He constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save
0: with GEICO. It's almost better than sports.
3: Well, in the meantime, if there are any neat female explorers that we haven't mentioned that you would like to share with us or... If you are a STEM explorer or just an adventurer, and not just an adventurer, an adventurer, we want to hear from you. MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is where you can email us. Photos of amazing places that you have been are always welcome as well. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or message us on Facebook. And we got a couple of messages to share with you right now.
2: Well, I have a letter here from Erica. She's providing us some book recommendations for people interested in sort of getting an introduction to feminism because we had read a letter from a young woman who wanted to get her cousin a book to introduce her to the idea of feminism that maybe wasn't in your face or preachy, something that was easy for her to relate to. And so Erica says, I would definitely recommend Full Frontal Feminism by Jessica Valenti to the viewer who wrote in asking about feminist books. It is an amazing book written fairly conversationally, so it's an easy read. It made me laugh while still providing detailed and relevant information about modern feminism. So thanks for the recommendation, Erica. Well, I've got a letter here from Daniel about our episode on gay weddings, which
3: we should have called same-sex weddings. He writes, I listened to the Gay Weddings Tradition podcast and wanted to tell you how much I appreciate y'all taking the time to talk about this topic. I did want to mention, and you were pretty good about it, and I think just slipped in a few places that calling it gay weddings is a bit cringy. Try to stick with same-sex weddings since gay people aren't the only ones who are gaining the right to marry with these laws, for example, bisexuals and pansexuals. A wedding between two bisexuals who are the same gender isn't a gay wedding. Same as a wedding between two bisexuals of different genders isn't a straight wedding. You get me? Yeah, we totally get you, Daniel. Um, And he continues, also about straight couples standing in solidarity with same-sex couples and holding off on marriage. I think it's a sweet sentiment... But it really sours when they eventually give in and just marry anyway. I went to a wedding recently and the couple decided to donate the money they would have spent on things like extravagant decor and party favors towards organizations that fight for marriage equality. I think the safest bet is to put your money where your mouth is. If you support marriage equality, do something about it. They also had as guests two of our friends who had gotten married in another state since marriage equality hasn't made it to Florida yet and had them cut the cake with them, which I thought was adorable. And yes, that is adorable. So thanks for your letter, Daniel, whom I should have called Dan because that's how you signed your email. So if you have letters for us, stuff at howstuffworks.com is our email address, but you can also reach us on Facebook, or Twitter, and to find links to all of our other social medias, as well as every single blog, podcast, and video, there's one place to go, and it's StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit
1: HowStuffWorks.com. So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95%